We will now read from John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. You can follow along in your own Bibles or from the words on the screen. Let's hear the word of the Lord. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, Hi Rock. I'm Walt, one of the pastors here. You know, just like many New Englanders, Jen and I love a day trip to the beach. Summer trips, fun for sure, but we also really like going in the off season when it's cooler and the beaches are almost deserted. A few years ago, we headed down to one of our favorite spots in Rhode Island, and this was pre-kids, so it was just us and the dog, and as soon as we parked, I let the dog off leash, and we started running around in the sand, and it was shaping up to be a perfect day. But about 15 minutes into the fun, I put my hand in my pocket, and my heart sank into my stomach. My keys were gone. I looked around the beach, and all I, I could see all the ground. We had covered all of our footprints spreading up and down the beach, and it was a lot, and I thought, I, I am never going to find these keys, and we're going to have a problem. The day that had started with so much promise now had deteriorated into a needle in the haystack hunt. And after about a half hour surging, against all odds, I caught a glint of the keys in the sun, and I held them triumphantly over my head, and all was right in the world once more. And then I heard a woman call out to me from the parking lot and, and, and wave me over. And I, I approached, and I saw her and her friend sitting in the car, and she said to me, were you looking for your keys? I said, yeah, but I, I just found them. And she replied, oh, I'm so happy. We saw you looking for something and we have been in our car praying that you would find it. I told them, I've been praying too. And I'm, I'm in ministry myself and we shared a bit about our church communities. And I told them how much I appreciated their prayers. And as I walked away from their car back to the beach, I could hear them yell out, Yay! In celebration. It was incredibly sweet and touching. And what stands out to me was just how surprising it all was. Strangers praying for me. How quickly we realized that we had this profound commonality in our shared love for Jesus. Women that I had never met before and I'll likely never meet again, but with whom I share this beautiful bond. It felt like an amazing window into God's work in the world, but also such a powerful point of contrast to what I often experience and how I often see others. I want you to consider your circles of connection for a moment. On the outer edges, we have those with whom we share society. And then as you get further inward, there are your neighbors and your acquaintances, your friends, your intimate relationships with either close friends or family, and then yourself. A lot has been made about the widening gaps in our society. We're increasingly polarized, increasingly pulled apart by ideological, social, political, cultural, and economic factors. Things that didn't used to be a big deal have suddenly taken on outsized value. Barbie, Bud Light, and books have all found themselves at the center of a cultural divide. Furthermore, these divisions have come even closer. It used to be those people out there, but now 
and some people in our neighborhoods and at our universities and in our communities. I saw this first uh, firsthand when I first moved to Boston and realized to my horror that there are actually people out there who don't put their shopping cart back, like lots of them. And now they're my neighbors. Truly, <laughs> this is a godless land. You know, maybe you've had similar experiences in your community, whether it's been in a parking lot or on a Facebook group or at a PTA meeting. I've got neighbors like that. And we feel that tendency to pull away, that move to put them at arm's length to increase our distance. Hey, it's a good thing that we have our friends and family to count on, right? Well, not so fast. You know, in the past, those inner circles of connection were what grounded us and provided the stable community that's crucial for a healthy life. It's a lot easier to, to deal with the world being a mess when our own little worlds are intact. But recent research and plenty of anecdotal evidence suggests that we're growing more wary, not only of hypothetical, nameless Americans, but of the people in these inner circles, our own colleagues, friends, partners, and parents. The same fractures that have been spreading through our culture are now splintering into our lives. These divisions have permeated our spiritual family as well. <laughs> That's why the experience in the beach parking lot felt so striking to me. There had been a time in my Christian life, early in my faith, when I felt this far-reaching love for God's people. When I began following Jesus, I just felt like that was part of the deal. But now there's tension. A pull. I want to hang on to those warm fuzzies, but sometimes I end up being a little more cold prickly. Because it can feel like there is way more that's different about us than we have in common. I mean, sure, we both profess faith in Jesus, but how much does that really count for these days? We see the world in such different ways. We have different, sometimes even conflicting understandings of what it means to follow Jesus or apply the Bible. We support different politicians, enjoy different pastimes, raise our families in very different places. And as we all know, these days, different doesn't just mean different. It means wrong. And when we feel like something or someone is wrong, that will often result in distance and judgment and disconnection. You can't love someone when you're disconnected from them. And despite the fact that we follow a God who calls us to love and bless our neighbors, we find ourselves in a world that is constantly pulling us apart. Perhaps we didn't care that much when it was those people out there, but now many of us are experiencing those pulls in our small groups, with age-old friends, or in our marriages, or with our kids. Have you felt like the people that you want to love are harder to love these days? I do. Do I want to love other Christians out there? Yeah, but it can be hard for me to trust them. Do I want to love my neighbors? Yeah, but I don't have time for that. I'm too busy struggling with the relationships I already have. Do I want to love my friends? Yes, but... It can be hard for me to really let them in to know what's going on in my life. Do I want to love my wife and kids? Absolutely. But some days I just feel so distracted, tired, irritable. So often I feel like I am at the, the limits of my love. And when I hit those limits, I feel like a failure. Sometimes I get resentful, like, why are these people so hard to love? And sometimes I feel ashamed and I always feel alone. Like, I have just come to the end of myself. I don't have any more to give. Do you ever feel like you're at the limits of your love? Sometimes that, that limit comes rushing right up at you. Sometimes you can see it coming a mile away, but it always hurts when you hit it. 
So what do we do with that? Today we're concluding our summer sermon series, Summer School, Praying with Purpose. At the very beginning of this series, we looked at the first few lines of Jesus' prayer in John 17, the, the prayer we're ending with today. We reflected on the main purpose of prayer, which is a response to the reconciling work that Jesus came to do. We pulled away from God, but Jesus came to pull us back in, to forgive us and heal us and help us enter into the life with God that we had always been created for. Prayer is an essential expression of this restored relationship. And prayer also has the potential to transform our relationship with others. It has both a, a vertical function, being reconciled to God, and a, a horizontal function, being reconciled to our, our neighbors and friends and family. Because God is in the business of bringing back together what has been pulled apart by sin and selfishness and fear and division. And it is through these reconciled relationships that the world will understand the power and hope of the gospel. Jesus prayed for our unity, proclaiming to God the Father, then the world will know that you have sent me and you have loved them even as you have loved me. This is how the world will know. They will see love where there should be enmity, and they will see generosity, where there should be hoarding, they will see self-giving, where there should be self-protection. These relationships, our relationships, will show the world a different way of living and loving, from our marriages and our families, to our friendships, to our, our willingness to be in a diverse community, to, to how we treat complete strangers. These relationships will change the world if we don't allow ourselves to be pulled back apart. Jesus knows just how powerful these forces and these inclinations are. And so in his final moment with his disciples, just hours before his death, Jesus prays for his disciples and then he prays, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. This is an incredible prayer. Think for a second about all the different things that Jesus could have prayed for his people. He could have prayed that his followers would become so successful that others would want to get in on that. He could have prayed that their apologetic skills could dismantle any argument against faith out there and people would have no choice but to concede and believe. He could have prayed that his people would have political and cultural power to mandate that God's ways were adhered to by all. He could have prayed for all these things and more, but he didn't. He prayed that those who believe in him would be one. It's an amazing prayer, and if I'm honest... It makes me kind of uncomfortable. Here's why. When I hear Jesus pray that those who believe in him would be one, what I want it to mean is that we're polite to each other, that we're nice, that we, we tolerate each other's existence, and that there's a lot of freedom for you to do you, and I'll stay in my lane, and you stay in yours, and hey, look at that, we're one, <laughs> just like Jesus prayed. But of course, that's not what Jesus prayed. And that's what makes us feel so hard. Jesus prayed that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. And when I read that, I feel caught. Because I don't think that God the Father and God the Son are just nice to each other. I see a relationship characterized by self-giving glory and mutual delight. A relationship that we are now all brought into. As Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be brought to complete unity. So when I hear that, I have to honestly ask myself, is this my vision for my relationships? 
Is this what I'm working towards and praying towards? Or am I letting the divisive dynamics of our world become a status quo that I'm comfortable with? Because do I really want to be one with those people? It's very easy for me to keep this teaching abstract. Or let it be a a future dream. Like one day in heaven, we'll all be one. Because everyone else will realize how wrong they are. That'll be great. But as we've been talking about in our series, prayer is a way that we experience eternal life now. We don't get to just phone it in until this life is over. And this hits up against the limits of my own imagination for what could be, for what God could do. Because if God really does want to reconcile the world back to God's self, if God really does want to bring back people who have been pulled apart, if God really does want us to be one just as God's self is one, well, then one is more than I think. And it requires me to look at the limits of my love and acknowledge that I need God to do something new in me. If all God had done was say, be better, be more loving, be one with people who are incredibly different from you, then we'd be in trouble. I don't know about you, but I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to be more loving. And when I'm just out there trying to be my best, then I fail way more frequently than I'd like to admit. When I'm all by myself, alone, with my coffee, driving home from work or whenever, it's easy to to think to myself that when the kids wake up, I'm going to be the best dad ever. When I get home, I'm going to be an adoring husband. Or when I get to that church group or that ministry team meeting, I'm going to live into our values of hospitality and solidarity. Those warm fuzzies are real. But when the kids get up and are acting out, or when Jen and I fall back into some old arguments, or I'm confronted by just how challenging spiritual community can be, then all those warm fuzzies go out the window. The pull of these divisive forces is way stronger than any nice feelings I have. I need something stronger. I need a love that is greater than my own. And God doesn't just tell us to be more loving. God comes to us to give us that very kind of love we need. A limitless, self-giving, unconditional love. Jesus defeats our sin and selfishness and then sends the Holy Spirit to unite us to God and to unite us to one another, to make us one. The Holy Spirit is the the relational glue that makes reconciliation possible. And the love of the Holy Spirit goes well beyond the limits of our love. It's way stronger than our nice feelings, way stronger than the forces of division in our world. Without the uniting work of the Holy Spirit, we would be hopeless in the face of our own limits. But with the Holy Spirit at work in us and the rest of God's family, then then anything is possible. Because when we are confronted with the real challenges of real relationships, now we can tap into a love that is bottomless. In and of ourselves, we might not have the love that we need to forgive or extend compassion or practice solidarity or lay down our own lives for others. But in those moments of need, We can ask, and God will supply what we lack and more. On our own, this work is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. At the beginning of our series, I said, if you're not following Jesus and you really aren't sure if prayer works, to just experiment a little bit. To say, here I am to God and see what God says in return. And I'm wondering what that experience has been like for you. I'm wondering if you found yourself encountering a love that was real, powerful, kind. A love that goes beyond the limits of what you thought you could experience. 
if that was what happened, then I'm not surprised. Because that's what God does. God shows up in love to call people into relationship with God and relationship with others. And if you want that relationship, all you have to do is ask the, the Holy Spirit to come unite you to God and to God's people. God will do it. So if that's you, take some time during our service or directly afterwards to make that ask and share that with a friend or a pastor so we can celebrate that step of faith with you. For others of us, we might be wondering what this means for our own prayer lives. I've often felt like when I'm praying for people, the primary thing that's changed in that moment is me. Uh, I might be praying that God provides for them or blesses them or encourages them, but what's really happening in that moment is that my own heart towards them begins to change. My own love for them increases. My, my patience and compassion towards them grows. And more often than not, I'm inspired to act, to, to love them in tangible and, and practical ways. Will God be doing something in their life outside of me? God certainly could. But it's just as likely that God will be using me to be an instrument of blessing for them. When I think about our church community, and even the, the broader church community, I'm struck by the prophet Samuel's words. Speaking to God's people, he said, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. That's intense. And I know that many of us have come from backgrounds that were super legalistic and demanding about prayer, and we still have this allergy when it comes to any sense of obligation-based or duty-bound prayer. I get it. But what I hear in Samuel's words is this beautiful sense that God has entrusted this people to him and that he has been entrusted to these people. In a very real way, we belong to each other because Jesus prayed that we would be one. And a significant way that we can acknowledge that is by praying for one another. Not necessarily in the hopes that God would fix others, but in the hopes that God would fix us. Because in prayer, we're able to take responsibility for our own selfishness and fear and prejudices, all the things that would divide us from one another, and affirm that despite the temptation to be pulled apart, we want God's blessings for our sisters and brothers in the faith. By praying for others, we can help our prayer life move from self-serving to self-giving. How often are we praying for our own wants, needs, circumstances? Does God want to hear those things? Absolutely. But if we are only praying for ourselves, failing to pray for others, then we have an imbalanced and immature prayer life. Prayer can be the gateway to the complete unity that Jesus came for us to have. Think about those concentric circles of relationships again. What would it look like for you to intentionally pray through each one of them? Your family, your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, for, for the church as a whole. Maybe this week you can take time each day to pray for a different circle. Unsure what to pray? No problem. The Bible has got you covered. It's filled with remarkable, powerful prayers that have blessed God's people for millennia. One of my favorites is Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter 1. He writes to this young church, We have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. 
That's a great prayer right there. 10 out of 10 would recommend. And there are plenty more where that comes from. This summer, our church set out to grow in prayer to, to strengthen this critical, but for many of us, undeveloped spiritual muscle. How's it been for you? I've seen this practice of prayer change me, change my family, change our, our church. God has honored our desire and strengthened us in some significant ways, ways that I think will be crucial as we prepare to launch a, a new season of ministry and navigate some financial challenges. And if we want to continue growing and loving God and loving one another, this can't just be a, a flash in the pan. It has to be lasting. And I, I believe that it will be. In a moment, we're going to transition to a time of reflection and confession. But before we do, I have a confession to make. If you've been around High Rock for the past few years, you know that we've made some intentional shifts in our mission. We've always wanted to create communities that ask questions and inspire one another to love like Jesus does. But we realized that our definition of community was too narrow. If we wanted to reflect the image of the church that Jesus created, in which all who follow Jesus are one, then we would need to make some changes and stretch ourselves to have a wider invitation and embrace. And my confession is that even in helping lead our church in this, there have been times where I've wondered, is this right? Is this worth our time and effort? Is it worth the cost? Is this a wise and a faithful move? There were times where I just wasn't sure. And I know that others of you have been in a similar place. And yet time and again, as I have sat in rooms with people that I never thought I'd sit with, and as I have sat in texts like today's that have forced me to reckon with God's dream for the church, I've become more and more convinced this is not an optional exercise. Because I can't get around the, the clarity of Jesus's prayer, that when we are united, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. It, it, it's this kind of community that will be a witness in a world that sees division as the norm. And we have seen the fruits of that as our own church has changed and, and grown. And I'm reminded of that every time a non-Christian friend asks me about High Rock. And I say, we're trying to be a, a different kind of community. We're all, we're all trying to follow Jesus across all kinds of differences, but in a spirit of love and unity. Because they haven't heard of a church like that. And they want to know more. This work is hard. We make mistakes all the time. We have a long way to go, but I think hard is, is okay. Probably even good. Recently, an article came out in The Atlantic in which the writer acknowledged that, yeah, people are leaving the church because of the distrust of institutions and, and the overcrowdedness of life. But he argues that perhaps the main reason why people are leaving isn't that the church is asking too much of them. It's that the church isn't asking enough because we get out of community what we put into it. In a time where our culture is defined by division, I don't know a lot of things that will require more of us than seeking to be a church marked by unity and reconciliation. But I know that Jesus taught the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Jesus prayed that we would be one. That will ask more of us than we ever could have imagined, but the joy that we will receive from it will be far greater. 
And the first step of this pursuit is to join Jesus in prayer. Because try as we might, we just can't do it on our own. So friends, let us put aside all the things that that pull us apart and come before our God together so that we might be one, just as the Father and the Son are one. Thanks be to God.